Two nights ago, at approximately 1900 hours, SATCOM radar detected an unidentified object entering Earth's atmosphere, losing contact with it two and a half miles off the coast of Rockwell. Some assumed it was a large meteor or a downed satellite. But my office in Washington received a call from someone who reported an actual encounter with the object. This is no meteor, gentlemen. This is something much more serious. Hello and welcome to the Dead Letter Movie Podcast. This is episode 85, recorded July 16th, 2023. I'm Tim. I'm Andrew. And we are continuing our summer series for this year, Atomic Summer, uh, this week featuring... 1999's The Iron Giant, directed by Brad Bird, starring Jennifer Aniston, Harry Connick Jr., uh, Christopher McDonald, and Vin Diesel. Vin also, Diesel. Eli Marienthal, who is, uh, mm-hmm. does a, a great job as the, uh, the, the child star. lead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, yes, this is this was a first time watch for me. Um, or well, all the way. I had caught it on the Cartoon Network a couple of times, um, having you know watching chunks of it, but never really had a proper viewing until now. And um, yeah, I gotta admit, it was um, quite an experience. Um, And you had, you had seen this on VHS, right? The first time I saw this was on VHS around the time or shortly after its original release on home video. So this would have been uh, late 1999, early 2000, somewhere around Mm. there. Yeah. What compelled Um, you to rent it? You know, honestly, I don't know. I didn't. Uh, Someone else did. There was a copy in the house and it was playing and I watched it. Okay, cool. Hey, yeah. <laughs> hey that's, that's how you watch movies sometimes. Yeah. Nice. Cool. All right. Um, and there, there's a reason why I asked him that, because uh, this movie did not do great <laughs> when it came out in, it did in not. 1999. Um, and I, I'll, I'll go in a little deeper into that for a second. But first, before we get into the movie, a little bit of context, and uh, Tim's going to have some stuff as well for us, I think. Um, so this is, like Tim said, this is directed by Brad Bird, and this is his first feature Mm-hmm. Um, he had been an animator at Disney for a time. Um, he had worked. On, he apparently worked on the Plague Dogs. Um, so he had been working in animation for a good chunk of time. You know, famously worked on The Simpsons as well. Um, his his first big claim to fame would be Family Dog, which is an episode of of Amazing Stories, which is an animated episode that is all mostly done from a dog's perspective. And it got a spinoff series as well. For you know, lasted about a season. Is not you know it was you know with a Early '90s cartoon or yeah. late '80s. I'm not exact. I can't quite remember when, um, but yeah, it's it wasn't bad. I have vague memories of this, um, but I do remember it being enjoyable. And so that's when he first kind of made a name for himself, and then kind of made a bigger name for himself when he was doing The Simpsons. Um, actually, was the director of the "Do the Bartman" video. If you want to feel old, go watch <laughs> the "Do the Bartman" video. Such oh a deliriously piece of '90s weirdness, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, <laughs> that's 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 how it was. Um, so yeah, I did did a lot of writing um, beforehand, a uh, fair amount, mostly animation. And so yeah, this was his his time to shine. Um, he had been he had worked at Disney for a good chunk of time, and then Warner Brothers realized that they could uh, poach themselves some people for who had been you know cast off from the mouse, and that's how he got the gig. Ultimately, I mean, like there's. It's a little bit more convoluted than that, but that's the short and long of it. Um, but yeah, so my first exposure to the story, though, was not the movie, but actually a Pete Townsend record called The Iron Man, which oh, is yeah. based. Yeah. And and in really, in really, it was just the one song, Dig, which was really the who, but on a Pete Townsend album. Anyway, <laughs> so The Iron Man was a musical based off of the book by Ted Hughes. So the book is The Iron Man, and it is more like the beginning of this, I guess. 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there a lot of the broad strokes are are similar, but there are some key differences in in details between the source material and and this film. Mm-hmm. The the child had both his parents. It was set, I, mm-hmm. I believe, in England because Ted Hughes was English. Yep. Um, some things like that. Uh, Townsend himself is actually still credited as a producer on this film because right. he was awfully keen. Mm-hmm. E- even though this is pretty different from you know the the jumping off point, yeah, he, well, he was still on board. Yeah, well, and part of that was because they bought the rights to his musical. So they had originally wanted to make a movie of his musical, but that yeah. lavished in development hell for a long time. And well, so, yeah. so it 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 did and it didn't. Um, yeah, Brad Bird got got hold of it. He had he had this other idea that he pitched, and they didn't want to do. Uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, we're we're never going to do that. But, hey, here's here's this thing we're we're working on, trying to develop, and and he goes back to them after after reading it and says, "Guys, I don't think this is a musical." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we get this movie. Yep. And the musical isn't bad. I mean, like, it's actually an enjoyable little record if you want to listen to it. Um, I have not seen it performed as a musical, um, but I'm curious what that would have looked like. Um, But it is more like it is not this. It is more in keeping with the other story. And like Tim says, the broad strokes are there, but it's a pretty different story. The kid is actually only like one part of this of it. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, so the Ted Hughes novel or the Ted Hughes story I found out was actually written to have written for his kids um, mm-hmm. to help deal with the death of their mother, who was Sylvia Plath. And I had never put it together that those two were married. So there is wild. What? I know it's just like, wow, this is just there's quite a lot here. Um, but yeah, uh, going back to Pete Townsend, um, Pete was very much like, I don't really care what you do. I get paid for the music anyway. So <laughs> like, yeah, which, which is a very Pete Townsend thing. Yep. to say so yeah um and like i said this did not do great this came out uh we were looking it up just before we were recording and so this came out the same weekend as the sixth sense and the thomas crown affair mm-hmm. and so that that those two did very much better than yep. this this opened yep. at the number nine spot behind the haunting which is not a good remake i mean we've talked about re- we've talked about robert wise a lot on this on this podcast and his version of the haunting is the better one mm-hmm. but yeah this is this did not do particularly great. Um, and if you look at the box office, it's it's interesting because, you know, you see The Sixth Sense, which was a big deal. And then at, under that was The Blair Witch Project, which is, you know, may still be the most successful independent movie of all time. And at that point, it had been getting, it actually grew, it grew and grew because it got a larger and larger market because they didn't do a wide release with that at the beginning. And so, yeah. And, you know, I've never seen The Thomas Crown Affair of you. No, actually, I snippets here and there like, okay, like so yeah. many other things no yeah. I've, I've actually never seen either version of it. yeah i think i've seen more of the steve mcqueen one but i don't think i've seen any of the pierce brosnan one um but deep blue sea also came out that time and so did runaway bride and i have seen runaway bride and it was it's a julia roberts movie it's enjoyable for a yeah. julia roberts movie so this like we said didn't do particularly great but it did eventually find its footing on the cartoon network <laughs> Well, yeah, it it, uh, it it did all right on home video as well. Yep. It got got sort of a, a cult following there, uh, and and as you said, TV broadcast on on cable really mm-hmm. really picked up some steam there. It's uh, it's it's done okay. It still has a cult following. Yep. Yeah. Apparently, getting released in in high definition was a, a bit of a, a trick. They they had to push for that because there there'd been oh you know it's a, you know there's a widescreen DVD that isn't the right aspect ratio and this and the other. Well, oh. yeah, uh, at least the, the earlier releases. Okay. No, I uh, I did get to see this on the big screen a few years ago around the time of the, the signature edition release. 
it's slightly different from the original theatrical cut uh, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit yeah but, yeah there's there's uh, not a huge difference there's one scene that like i think is pretty is a good addition but uh tim doesn't as much but we'll we'll talk about that uh, later. Yeah, yeah 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 but we'll get to that in uh in a, in a bit um but yeah so just to kind of give you an idea where we were at animation wise. So the top two movies of that year of 1999 were Toy Story 2, which is pretty good. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's, you know, I think it might actually be better than Toy Story. I know, blasphemous. Um, and then <laughs> and then uh, after that, it was Tarzan. So and the, that I feel like that kind of tells you a lot <laughs> about where we were animation wise. And yep. also, like Quest for Camelot hadn't didn't do particularly great for this. It's just it's sometimes Very poorly yeah. difficult to do well in animation if you're not a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, not always, but sometimes. So yeah, yep. and uh, Warner Brothers were not the first to find that out the hard way. No, this then let's get into our giant robot movie. A peaceful stay-at-home kind of day in a town very much like your own. But then suddenly, without warning. Yeah, so the, the gist of this is it's it's the mid-50s. There's... October 1957. I was able yep. to clock it. Yeah. Yep, yep, because they, they, they do put that up on screen. Yep. There's you know lots of paranoia around you know the the burgeoning Cold War, uh the recent launch of Sputnik by the Soviet mm-hmm. Union, and everything about the uh looming threat of at least the possibility of atomic warfare. So that's that's all here. Mm-hmm. And here we are in a small town somewhere in New England. Maine, I think. I think it's straight up Maine, yeah. 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 And so here we've we've got a kid of a single parent who, you know, like a lot of kids in the 50s, is is, you know, okay, sort of has to fend for himself a lot and gets into some scrapes, but he's not a bad kid. He's he's a good kid, mm-hmm. just lacks a little bit of guidance. And I guess his dad died in Korea. Maybe. Yes. I yes. guess we don't so, we don't we don't really get that confirmed, but we do we, have like a photo we, of we, him in yes. uniform. Yes. So we we do. That was that was actually meant to and I, I did not see that until very recently because it wasn't always playing in the uh, mm-hmm. pan and scan full screen editions. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yes, there's there's the the photo on on uh, Hogarth Hughes dresser oh, of of his of his dad with his his fighter plane, uh, mm-hmm. and that was that was meant to be an indication that yeah he had he had been shot down in the war. Yeah, like in order for him to be like the right age, it could not have been World War Two. <laughs> so, right. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so this is you know in a lot of ways it's a boy and his monster kind of movie. And there's, you know, there's, there's, I get a lot of ET vibes from this in a lot of ways. Um, there, there's a lot of ET vibe here for sure. Yeah. It, it clearly draws a lot of inspiration from, from some of those Amblin films from mm-hmm. the early and mid eighties. And there's a fair amount of Gort in our Iron Giant as there well. There really, really is. Yep. Particularly that, that comes out toward the end in the, in the big climax of the film. Yeah. It's more obvious there, but it, uh, you, you kind of feel it coming on in other places too. You do. But yeah. And so, you know, this robot crash lands in Rockwell and starts eating metal. At one point I was like, we could have called this the robot that ate Rockwell. But, you know, if you wanted to give it a more fifties drive-in title, but uh, yeah. So little boy <laughs> finds Hogarth, such a, it is Hogarth in, in Ted Hughes's story. So it, it, it's, it's an unusual least, name. It is an unusual name. 
And yeah, the if there's one thing I can say, the the government man making fun of it later was like, well, he's just saying what everyone's kind of thinking. No offense, anyone actually named Hogarth. Hogarth finds the finds the Iron Giant and decides to make friends with it. And that's kind of and he also and they also befriend a beatnik junkyard owner played by mm-hmm. Harry Connick Jr. And it was actually kind of interesting to see this kind of beatnik character because he's well, he does something kind of subversive later, but I, we can we can get to it a tiny bit later. But yeah, so that, that's more or less the story. So what works for you in this, Tim? Basically everything. I mean, I was I was super, super skeptical the first time I saw this movie, uh, largely based on the very poor marketing, which was a yeah. complete tonal mismatch to watch them to what the movie actually is. And then I watched it. It's like, oh, this is this is amazing. And man, the the ending is is such a tearjerker gets gets you every time. It's <laughs> oh, it's 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 heartrending. Um, mm-hmm. You can definitely see why Brad Bird would end up going to Pixar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I I love the the animation style. Um, some of the the special features they they talk about. Okay, the character design. You know, Disney's all you know very very clean. Kind of prior to this point, they they get a little more messy and, and stuff. Kind of later, but okay. Hogarth is is a little bit asymmetrical and kind of imperfect, mm-hmm. and he's got kind of a little bit snaggletooth, and his ears mm-hmm. are kind of big and funny. It's, it's he's not like this, you know picture perfect all-american 50s kid he's 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 meant to be a little more credible because it's okay he's he's got these these kind of imperfections in the way he looks and and that holds true for most of the rest of the characters as well mm-hmm. yeah i i really like the i don't know what else to call it but like i like the like 50s-esque stuff dude but not the wholesome you know stuff more <laughs> the like not not that Donna Reed business to it, which there isn't a lot of, but I mean, like, no, but, there's, there's so, not a lot I'm, of that. I'm just saying that like, when I'm saying 50 stuff, I'm not actually talking about that. I'm talking about like, like I enjoy the fifties monster movie aspects of it quite a lot. There's actually quite a lot of Bride of Frankenstein in this. I was a little surprised. Like there's kind of a blind hermit equivalent scene. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even the you stay line. That's very indicative of the last, you know, couple of lines in Bride of Frankenstein. But I'll mean it, you know, I'll be in a meaning something different. But yeah, and so there was a lot of like 50 sci-fi and monster movie references that I found in this that I thought was actually really fun. And yeah, these, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hogarth has a forbidden planet poster in his room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> little, little things like that. At one point, we see him watching a cheesy 50s sci-fi horror movie on on tv okay so i actually watched the movie that it was it seems to be kind of making off of this uh this movie called like the brain from planet a ruse and i watched this um after watching this because i, I was seeing it connected to mm-hmm. each other in various places online it's not it's not like a lift that they animated it's nothing like that but there's definitely some similarities oh yeah, yeah. and and that you can watch on YouTube. It's like 71 minutes. It is terrible. It has John Agar in it, um, but it is fun terrible. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, at Mystery Science Theater, people will know who John Agar is mm-hmm, for, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I think his best movie was probably The Mole People. Well, I don't know. Revenge of the Creature is probably a slightly better movie than The Mole People, but this is not, I'm just comparing things that are very <laughs> C grade at best. So, um, but yeah. yeah, point is, you know, some some very clear direct inspiration there. But mm-hmm. that was that was an original bit that they did. Yeah, off of something else, and something else that they also riffed on, which apparently the animators didn't know about, didn't totally totally copy, was the duck and cover. We we do see a civil defense mm-hmm. 
like film at one point that is very much supposed to be a duck and cover kind of film. But apparently you were saying that the animators weren't <laughs> clued in on that or. So, yeah, this, this was also the, from the special features on the, on the home video releases, mm-hmm. you know, Brad Bird said to his, his department, okay, we, we need something like this, like one of these, these fifties, you know, civil defense PSAs, you know, about mm-hmm. atomic attack and, very specifically did not show them the real ones mm-hmm. which we some of which we've already talked about here yeah and that and what they came up with is eerily similar and hilariously satirical and it's it's some some of those cartoon visuals it's oh man it's they are yeah spot on yep without ever it's funny that they didn't even like supposedly look at that stuff but it is like mm-hmm. perfect ah oh, love it ever hear of sputnik yeah, it's the first satellite in space. Foreign satellite, Hogarth, and all that that implies. Even now, it orbits overhead. Boop, boop, watching us. Um, another thing that really works for me is uh, is Christopher McDonald's character. Yeah, now, yeah, he is playing. It's funny because he's playing a character that, if this were a live action movie, he would still be playing this character. He totally he, would. <laughs> and like he's he is he's Shooter McGavin in happy in, gilmore, uh, yes. in happy gilmore so i think i mean that's the movie where i think most people would know him from but he always plays characters like this especially in the 90s and nearly always yeah nearly always but like this was kind of his bread and butter for a while like he's not like that like he's actually one of my he's this movie is uh, sort of important for my crowd but in slc punk he is the punk's dad and he has like this very adamant thing about like he is very much a like a rich guy who's not gonna like I don't know how to describe it. like there's something about him that makes me respect him in that movie even though he still kind of sucks <laughs> but yeah but yeah Chris McDonald is like perfect in this movie most of the things that I ended up like grabbing to have for clips in this are things that he says because he's basically the comic relief yeah yeah he's he's the caricature of the the government semi-competent the evil... g-man yeah <laughs> semi-incompetent g-man you're you're 100 right yeah. yeah uh and and he's he's really really great here he's he provides a good bit of the comic relief uh mm-hmm. like like you said be- I mean, it's not just of, him but i mean there's it's, other it's, times, it's not just yeah. him there's there's yeah. a lot of humor and heart in this movie it's it's a family picture yeah so quick aside uh christopher mcdonald is the star trek connection here ah uh-huh. he had a, a very prominent guest role on a single episode of the next generation just a few years prior not the semi-incompetent G-Man. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely doomed, but uh, mm. no, it was, was a solid role. Nice. Harry Connick Jr. as this junk man beatnik who makes art that has has a moment with the general moment where he's like fi- where he's like kind of having an argument with the general and winning, which mm-hmm. is something that I found like, wow, that says something. That's something that you that's one big difference between like making a movie in 1999 and making a movie in 1957. Because Yep. wouldn't have been able to get away with that so and that's it, it so that was something that i really dig yeah yeah so it it, it helps that bit that mm-hmm. exchange that we had already established previously in the movie that uh kent mansley the the previously <laughs> mentioned g-man um, <laughs> it's such a perfect like it's it's, it's so great so great <laughs> yeah. um already had kind of a rough relationship with this general and and a history of you know wild goose chases and and such so the general is sort of predisposed to not really like this guy so yeah. when harry connick jr beatnik or not comes along mm-hmm. okay yeah yeah i do think i do however see that is like there is something there in there that's like the artist 
is, you know, having an argument against this establishment thing, even if he doesn't like, even if that thing is still on the same side there, like mm-hmm. that still says something. And I, and I, and I dig that. I feel like that's yeah. not something you yeah. see like ever. <laughs> so, yeah. And, um, and so the funny thing I found like a commonality between this and the day of the earth stood still, I found was the whole room for rent mm-hmm. um, relationship with the boy. He's almost like an anti clatu in this sense. Kent is. So like it even has a K name. So it's like, it's funny to see that kind of role flipped on and played with. Now he's not an alien, of course, but I mean, like he just, he's doing things that Klaatu does, but for very different reasons. And that's really fascinating to me when you're watching these two together. I mean, like, I don't know if I would have put it together if I hadn't seen them so close to each other, but yeah, oh, that, was sure. another, yeah. that, was an, that was another extra thing that I really dug. Yeah. But then there are other elements that kind of relate to the character of, Plateau in uh, Day of the Earth is still that in this story are ascribed to the giant where, mm-hmm. okay, he's he's new to this planet and doesn't really yep. understand society and, and he kind of has to be taught some of these things. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, they ended up being, you know, they, they, they made a lot of sense watching next to each other. Yeah. So what th- do you have? These don't seem to have too much, but what do you have that doesn't really work for you? Uh, like I said, there's there's really nothing about this that, that doesn't really work for me. Um, mm-hmm. No, I mean the the art really gives a, a whole whole vibe to it. Um, I love how seamlessly they they blend the early computer animated giant blends in with the the rest of the world, which is all hand drawn. Mm-hmm. That's that is really really amazing. Well, so it also it, adds to it, that whole you know othering it, it, of it, the it of, does a bit of the giants. Yeah, it does it does a little bit, but they they also actually made a point of uh, in in the graphics to slightly imperfect Mm -hmm. a lot of the lines on the giant so that it didn't look quite so out of place. So it's like, Oh, all right. That the outline is still very, very sharp, but a lot of the lines are kind of fuzzed a bit Mm -hmm. here and there so that it's, it's not so perfect and doesn't look like it was made by a machine quite Mm -hmm. so much. It would have been interesting if they'd actually like when we first saw them, if they kept that, and then kind of gradually added the imperfection as the movie as the movie went on, as he becomes more of this earth instead of yeah, wherever that, he's that from. That would have been an interesting choice. I I agree. I don't think it would have necessarily been easy to do, but no, <laughs> but it would no, have been, it, it wouldn't have been easy been to do given the, the yeah. circumstances of the production here, and probably would have been a lot harder to notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, now it would be because of the, the advent of like Blu-ray and well, such, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's just one of those things for like movie details for nerds to geek out about <laughs> years yeah. later on the internet. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. So I so uh, like oh, yeah, go on. Sorry. Uh, well, no, no, please. So okay. what 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 doesn't work for you here? So uh, most of it actually r- really works for me. Um, I don't really have like too much. That I actually like the fact that we don't know much about the the giants too much. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing here is like, and and this is where I figured it'd be a good time to talk about it. It's like, so in the signature edition, which is not the director's cut, but is basically the director's cut, um, we have, so we have a few, just a few differences. So if you, if you watch the theatrical one, you're not missing out too much. There's, <laughs> they switch out a Maypo ad for a Tomorrowland ad, which he wanted to do originally, but Disney didn't let him at the time, which sure. Um, and then there's a, a later scene in the diner where Harry, Car- Harry Connick Jr. and Jennifer Aniston are talking to each other. That's not okay. That doesn't really need to be there 100%. But then later we have we have uh, the giant's dream of like where he's from and kind of solidifying that he is very much a weapon and or like that's what his design is for is to go be the destroyer of worlds, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I now I had 
Like I kind of knew what was happening at the end of this movie. So do keep that caveat in there. Um, and, uh, but, and, but you had watched the movie without seeing that before. And I actually yeah. kind of like the addition of that scene. I think it adds a lot more, like it does enough, it does enough showing without, without a lot of telling about where the, where the giant is coming from and what's going and why he's like, why he's having this bigger fight with himself. And that to me ring like the fact that we have that so solidified actually makes the ending ring harder for me or has a better okay. impact for me. Okay. Like, yeah. And so I don't know, but like you kind of feel the other way on that. So well, a, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't hate the scene at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a, it's a really interesting scene Yeah, and it's, it's, it's neat. And like you said, it kind of shows some of that internal conflict, you know, with, without telling so much. So it, it gives a little bit more depth there. That's all good, but I do feel like it kind of gives away a little too much of the twist that comes almost at the very end of the movie mm-hmm. beforehand, because it's it's several minutes of runtime earlier. And it's like, oh, at, at that point, you kind of see how the end is going to go down. It, mm-hmm. it feels almost a little too telegraphed. Like so I, I like the scene. I think the movie might be a little bit stronger without it. See, I don't really think of it as much of a twist. Um, is the thing, but I am also coming from this like I already kind of knew how the movie was going to end. Yeah. So like, if I had seen it without it before, like I don't know. In my in, in this watching, I felt like it made the ending stronger in that sense. But if I had that before, I mean, maybe I would feel the other way. But that that's just that that's where I was feeling in this particular watch. Uh, maybe I'll feel different about it later, or yeah, I'll yeah. The, in five years if I just watch the theatrical one and and still <laughs> see how I feel. But I don't really feel like there's like a huge. I don't know. You kind of know what's going to happen anyway. But then again, I've watched a lot of movies, so. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, like eighty-one minutes without the without the credits. Quick does its thing, says what it wants to say. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so yeah, what do we feel like? is being said here. So to me, like, I would think the big message of this is asking the question of, I mean, like, I think the way Brad Bird asks it is what if a gun had a soul, mm-hmm. um, but really it's like in- And didn't want to be a gun. Yeah, and for our thing, it's like, you know, what if atomic weapons had a soul and didn't want to be an atomic weapon? And yeah, and so like, that's like, it's a very interesting concept. And I think that's, you know, it's something that's very fitting for a science fiction giant robot movie. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I I love that about it, um, mm-hmm. and I think it also applies a little more broadly. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you can you can expand it, and they say this a couple of times in the movie: "You are who you choose to be." Mm-hmm. And you know, the giant having gained some sense of of self awareness and and the ability to choose is faced with that choice, and so are we as mm-hmm. as individuals and and as a society. I mean, mm-hmm. not not just with atomic weapons, but with how we face the world and how we face each other. That choice is now before us. Yeah. It's bad to kill. Guns kill. And you don't have to be a gun. You are what you choose to be. You choose. Choose. And it's it's interesting to me because it's like in, it's something that you know James Whale did a lot with with the monster in Brad Frankenstein when we have those like scenes where the monster's kind of out on his own doing his thing and he like saves a woman and the woman still freaks out like she like she sees him freaks out falls into water the monster saves her and then she's still freaking out but when the giant saves the falling children mm-hmm. during the end and then immediately the town is on his side is actually is very interesting to me because a, I don't 100% think that was, is how it would shake out. There would be more people on his side, but not in the whole town. But but B, so, it also yeah. really shows something that 
about how we as humanity can make our choices on how we view something as well. And sometimes like we'll see something, see it as a monster, no matter what, even if it does a good thing. And then sometimes we're w- woken up from that. And that's, you know, kind of what's being said there in that scene. Yeah. I, I actually really like that scene. It's, mm-hmm. I, I read it a little differently. It's, it's not like the whole town is immediately entirely well, whoever, on the side. Who sees yeah. it really is who it is. Well, yeah, but, yeah. There's, 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 there's that, but my read was more that the townspeople were sort of kind of awestruck so mm-hmm. they're, they're they're not necessarily immediately on his side but they're they're not running in fear either it's like they're mm-hmm. astonished by what they've just seen and still processing hey he you know this this giant creature saved these these kids but it's this giant kind of scary looking creature what does this all mean mm-hmm. especially if you think about if this if this takes place in 1957 this is a post day the stood still world mm-hmm. um, ostensibly yeah um, i mean like i have no idea if that movie does exist in this in this universe or not but i mean like if that's the kind of way that they're looking at it i mean they see a giant robot gort is not evil but he has something to be a little feared and mm-hmm. so like that you know adds something too yeah which is a great parallel with the the giant in this movie as well it's like you know, yeah. is is capable of destroying the world mm-hmm. i am and like so a part of me almost almost thinks of it as like what like what if this was a day of the earth stood still sequel that you know that that you know gort was just an example robot that they just have around and like the giant is what they send to actually solve the problems for things and then you know gort goes back and wherever the hell Klaatu is from <laughs> um yeah. yeah yeah and and the council of space folks are like ah let's just go send a robot just in case you know <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, so it's kind of, I can't think of a better pairing than the day there. It stood still in this regard, though any kind of like monster and his, you know, or uh, boy and his monster kind of movie would, you know, yeah. work well with it too. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's a great pairing. I, I love that it's, you know, even with the, the dream sequence still pretty mysterious. It's like, mm-hmm. what are the or- origins of, of this giant? Where did he come from? What's, what's their motivation? You know, who are his creators? What were they about? Why? build these mm. robots in the first place any of that none of that's answered here and it's like I, i've it always been curious be. yeah. but i kind of like that it's it's mysterious here yeah yeah i don't need it like i like i like the confirmation that yes he is a weapon um and he doesn't want to be but i don't need to know where he's coming from i don't need to know what the motivation of those people i mean like the motivations of those people are probably like i don't know go destroy that thing um for whatever reason but yeah um yeah so when it comes down to it i'm glad that to watch this i thought it was a very very fitting um thing this was your suggestion and i really appreciate it and yeah i thought this went really well with the with our other movies in our series and yeah so i'm gonna think i'm gonna go with a b plus on this i really dug it and uh i will it'll be a bit before i watch it again but uh, i actually very much enjoyed it so yeah yeah so this this is an a from for me mm-hmm. uh maybe maybe not quite an a plus just because it you know, for a lot of reasons, is a little bit rough around the edges. That's mm-hmm. that's nobody's fault in particular, mm-hmm. but you know, easy, solid A. It is one I revisit, not not just all the time, but you know, often enough. I'm very very glad to have a copy on my shelf. Nice. All right. So that is the Iron Giant. Um, we will be continuing on with our first summer series slash review episode next right. uh, we've never we've never done really done this before where we've done like a movie that's in theaters and have it be part of our summer series so we will be watching oppenheimer um we're going to give a little bit of extra time for folks to watch that and also for me to like do whatever additional research i can before with a new movie it's harder to get like extra stuff but 
you know, yeah. I'll have like, I'll at least have some box office numbers and stuff like that down the line. I mean, although I'm pretty sure Barbie's going to win, the question is by yeah. how much. Yeah. Yeah. Armor is a three hour movie that's going to leave people feeling probably not the best. Mm-hmm. With <laughs> and, an R, so fewer kids yeah. going. Yeah. And so like people are going to take their kids to Barbie. So, and also Barbie is like, not three hours, so you can have more show times. And I mean, like the math is just on Barbie's side, no matter what mm-hmm. you say. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm totally fine with both movies existing. I think it's great that both movies exist. I don't care who wins, but it is. It'll be yeah. fun to see what happens. So this yeah. is like, all I kinds think, of different movies. Yeah, I know it's a good thing for like for people who love movies. Like this is a great thing because this things that get people into the theater mm-hmm. are great things. I don't care what it is. So as long as people are going to the movies and enjoying movies and finding things to love in them, then perfect. That's all I want. But for now, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Hogarth? (laughs) Embarrassing name. Might as well call him Zeppo or something. What kind of a sick person would name a kid Hogarth?